0: what follows is essentially a skyrim fan fiction in audiobook format i wrote the fan fiction and the fan fiction is basically just the embellishment of the basic events of one of my modded playthroughs i will be sure to highlight any mods specifically that were instrumental to specific episodes or chapters and This is going to be the first chapter of it, and hopefully I can keep this series going for a while, because I really enjoy writing this, and uh, I hope that I can make this something nice. Chapter 1 A Wicked Wind The hunter awoke to the songs of birds and the scraping of pine needles as the morning breeze blew them about in lazy patterns. His bones felt strong today, a good day to hunt, but his furs were warm and they wanted him to stay. His eyes were crusty from sleep. He moved to wipe them clean, but his hands were reluctant, brushing against the soft pelts covering him. He decided that before he chose to wake up properly, he should take inventory and stock of his surroundings. He took a deep breath and remembered. Five apples from Helgen would keep him fed for the day. His trusty hunting bow, Laria, and twenty sturdy iron-tipped arrows were at hand should any game wander by. He had a fine stack of firewood and an axe to chop it. That combined with his furs and sleeping sack would keep him warm. Should it rain, his rudimentary tent would keep him dry. No books, though. But if he was going back to sleep, he wouldn't need them. No matter how he figured it, there was no good reason to get up right now. Except a strange, scratchy feeling at the back of his throat. What was that called? Oh, right. Thirst. He blindly reached for something resting on the ground near his hip. When his hand closed around a loose pouch, he internally swore. Damn. He knew he'd forgotten something. Empty water skin. Oh, well, there was no helping it. All this thought had pretty much woken him up anyway. He wiped the sleep from his eyes and sat up, had a head rush, and immediately laid back down again, deciding that two more minutes couldn't hurt. He closed his eyes and listened. To the east he could hear the faint buzzing from the fortified town of Helgen. The market was probably doing good business this time of day. Marcos would be selling his catch. Velod would be turning a fine profit with his ever-popular flavored meads and ciders and Ingrid would be doing her morning cleaning, with her golden hair tied back in a tail, shining bright in the cold morning sun. The hunter smiled. They have always been kind to this mutt wet camps on their doorstep. He had never been teased or ridiculed for his thick, patchy clothes, his empty pockets, or his secretive ways. In truth, the many people of Helgen were a far better family than he could ever ask for. They never asked for anything in return for their kindness. At least not unless the Imperial Legion was trying to recruit him. Even now he could hear the archers shooting into their wood and straw targets, the whistles and thuds of the arrows, mere whispers and taps to his ears. He was a far better archer, he knew, than half those in the Legion. However, it was a different kind of archery, that of a stalking hunter. It is hardly comparable to firing in volley at distant and numerous foes, he might spend hours planning his shot and sneaking closer before he loosed a single arrow. To the south, he could hear the close air of the deep evergreen forests that made up most of Falkreath Hold. He normally stayed near Helgen and Lake Illinalta, but when cold fronts came down from the north in Frostfall, those dense woods made for lush hunting grounds. Travel far enough south and you'd reach the city of Falkreath. He had never been that far south but he had heard of the graveyard and the tombs in and around the city. These dense forests were beautiful to him, but others seemed to look at those monuments to the dead and paint Falkreath Hold as a rather grim place. They did not see the life that permeates the air in the shape of birds, butterflies and dragonflies. They did not hear the splashing of salmon in the streams or the calls of wolves to the stars above. To the north, he heard the whistling of a biting cold breeze as the land began to slope dramatically upwards. These were the roots of the legendary mountain the locals called the Throat of the World. And high, high beyond the range of any earthbound eye, there lay a holy temple, High Throthgar, where the reclusive Greybeard spoke to the gods. If he believed in such things, he didn't. He preferred to think that this harsh life in the wilds had been earned through persistence and skill rather than the blessings of Kinareth. Even magic was beyond him. He had seen its power, but had never had the faintest aptitude for it. Daedra, divines, etherius, he had no sense of any of it. And since he knew that he would never know the puppet masters who pulled the strings on his brief existence, then for his purposes of seeing the next day, they may as well not be there. As he pressed his ear to the ground, he did not hear Kinareth whispering to him. What he did hear was a faint, low beat. Footsteps, steady, four hooves, mid-sized, perhaps a deer or young elk. It was coming from the west. He grinned at his luck. The west was where he was headed anyway. To the west he could hear the faint rushing of water as the eastern edge of Lake Ilinalta emptied into a rapid, north-flowing river. The Guardian Stones would be standing majestic in their quiet oddity, and on the far mountain, Bleak Falls Barrow would be casting its foreboding shadow over the land below. He knew some of the other hunters and vagabonds that lived around the lake. Most of them made their living as fishermen. He almost never fished, so they never had any reason to object to his presence. The thought of the glistening lake made him clear his dry throat and thirst. It was a couple of miles to the lake, but mostly downhill. And on his way there, he might be able to nab a deer. He listened again to pinpoint the hoof falls. It was close. He'd need to be quiet about getting up. Deftly, he slipped out of his bedding and snatched up his bow and quiver. He picked a pair of apples from their sack and stowed them in a back pouch. He ran his coarse hand through the dirt, savoring the soft feeling before picking up several handfuls and dumping it on the black remains of his fire from the previous night. The smoky scent would travel farther than his own musk if allowed to rise into the wind. However, that same smoky scent, if localized, could mask his own scent. Which is why he crushed a bit of char in his hand and rubbed it into the armpits of his furs before setting out. He stayed low as he moved all but silently through the brambles and ferns. One of his scout points was coming up, a bare rock outcropping that gave him a good view of his surroundings. He crawled on his belly to the edge of the cliff, moving little more than a couple yards every minute. When at last he reached the lip, he slowly removed one of his fur-crafted gauntlets and reached his hand over the edge. Another stroke of luck. Though the tips of the high-reaching trees appeared to be caressed by a westward breeze, the light chill on his fingers told him that there was a steady gust coming off the lake. He was upwind of his prey. He was about to pull himself up to glance over the lip, when with the dainty touch of a maiden's kiss, a vibrant blue butterfly lighted on his knuckles. It waited there, flexing its almost iridescent wings in the sun. The hunter thought the tiny creature might be looking at him. He was certainly looking at it, with an expression that was both quizzical and amused. There were a few little black dots on the back of his guest's wings. And on one of them, the left one, there was a small hole, like it had been in a fight with a sewing needle. It must have been a minute they stayed like that before the butterfly took off and flew in the direction of a nearby patch of wildflower. Making sure to dig his toes into the earth, lifting himself ever so slightly so his body didn't loudly scrape across the rock, the hunter pulled himself up to peek over the edge. His meticulous, almost pedantic methods had paid off. About thirty yards away, grazing in a clearing, was a young male elk. Its antlers were still unbranched spikes, unlikely to fetch a pretty price, but the meat would keep him fed and the hide was still strong and could be sold. He knew he couldn't take the shot from where he lay. He would have to pull upright to draw his bow, and by then he would be seen. The elk would likely run to the left, where a large stand of trees was waiting to hide him. However, to the right, conveniently located near a good spot for him to lower himself off the cliff, was a single tree with a varied assortment of thistles and bramble bushes around its base. That is where he'd take the shot. He backed himself away from the edge and quietly flanked to the right. When the tree was between him and the elk, he approached the yew where the cliff dips down and climbed the seven or so feet down to the forest floor. He checked his shot. It was good. He readied his bow, Laria, and drew an arrow out of his quiver. He notched the arrow, took aim, and drew it back. Slowly exhaled, steadied himself. Then suddenly there it was again. That blue butterfly alighted on the knuckles of his left hand. At first he couldn't quite believe what he was seeing. This crazy little bug was blocking his view of the elk. He was probably still on target, but if he loosed the arrow now, it would probably obliterate the little stranger as it whipped past. And he didn't want that. Still he couldn't wait very long. He could already feel his back and shoulder muscles growing sore. Perhaps he could get it to take off by blowing on it. As quietly as he could, he inhaled and softly blew down his outstretched arm. The blue-winged visitor seemed unperturbed. Frustrated, he took a bigger breath when suddenly something small and brown darted out from around his feet and tore away through the underbrush. The elk raised its head and bolted, disappearing into the trees before the hunter could even blow a second gust at the butterfly. For a moment he was still. A rabbit. He hadn't been looking at the ground, and he had spooked a rabbit out of its den. Ah! The elk probably never knew he was there. He just fled at the sudden movement. It was a beginner's mistake, and he knew it. He had gotten overconfident, and the butterfly didn't help. He let out a sigh and slowly let down the arrow. Only now did the butterfly take off and flutter away in the direction the rabbit had gone. The hunter lowered his bow, returned the arrow to the quiver, and reached for an apple. He bit into the fruit with a little more intent than he usually did, as he continued west to Lake Illinalta. The sun was high, and he had to shield his eyes when he finally stepped out of the trees and crossed the cobble road to the shores of the lake. This was the main road that led from Falkreath City to the hold of Whiterun to the north. There was a beautiful valley just north of here, wedged between the throat of the world and the mountain that bore Bleak Falls Barrow. Within that valley there lay the southernmost town in Whiterun hold, Riverwood. A kind little town, with a crazy old woman, a standoffish barmaid, and a boisterous blacksmith. He had been a couple times, but had never stayed long enough to learn any of their names. Beyond that, if one cared to continue north, the land opened up into vast, undulating grasslands. As far as one looked, there were golden waves dancing in the wind, and rising up on a lonely plateau was the city of Whiterun itself, a wealthy, wonderful place with houses made of upturned boats and temples of healing and ancient trees. Or so he had heard. He had never cared to venture that far north. He preferred the shadows and cover of the trees here in Falkreath. Around here, he was among the largest predators around. Sure, there were the occasional wolves, but fire was always an effective deterrent, and even if it came to a fight, they were manageable in small numbers. As long as he could make himself a tougher kill than a deer, he was fine. Over in Whiterun, he'd heard tell of saber cats the size of horses of giants as tall as four men, and venom-spitting spiders the size of bears! No. Living with the wolves suited him just fine. As he removed his furred garments to sun his sore muscles, the cold air nipped at several long scars on his right side, and a few old puncture wounds on his right forearm, aching reminders of a fight long past, a fight that had ended with something resembling mutual respect. He took a moment to examine himself. He was thin, but not malnourished. He was well equipped with good lean muscle. He was strong, yet quick like a ferret. Or at least, as he liked to think of it, he was exactly what he needed to be. Though he may not be impressive when compared to the burly shoulders and broad chest of a blacksmith, such large muscle required a lot of fuel. Such excess was not always available given his standing in life. The water weeds tickled his feet as he waded out into the lake, gasping a little at the cold. He placed his empty water skin in his mouth along with a clean cloth he used to filter water, and dived out into the lake. In the eerie murk of the underwater world, he floated, listening. The only thing he had to worry about here were the slaughterfish. If they were on the hunt, they would make a beeline for their prey with such ferocity that you could easily hear them thrashing their way towards you. The lake was quiet, or rather as quiet as water ever gets. With confidence, he struck out towards a small island about 20 yards offshore where the current was a bit more noticeable than at the edge. He emerged with a gasp and crawled onto this dry spot hardly big enough to stand a horse. He drank several filterfuls of water before filling up his water skin. While he sat there, he looked towards the south. Somewhere on that side of the lake... A strong Nord woman named Hurt had been planning to start a lumber mill. He knew this because she had passed through Helgen on her way to scout the area several months ago. The only other mills around are that of Riverwood and the one in Falkreath itself. And those two are hardly close, she had said to him over a drink. There are many lands to the southwest that have no good source of lumber, and of course I could always sell to the Imperial Garrison here in Helgen. I could even export some of my lumber to Cyrodole if necessary. He had thought her very savvy probably sharper than him. He had also thought her face very pretty. But there was an odd quality to her eyes. They seemed to shine in an unnatural way, or perhaps it was the combination of the hood and the candlelight. He had seen strange eyes before. Old Ganar Stone eye had a false eye, and it had never given him this feeling. He used to have a Khajiit friend whose eyes were downright otherworldly, but still somehow Hurt's eyes stirred him. He liked her, he decided, as he sat up, forgetting when he'd lain down. He thought he may even visit her if he ever wandered that far southwest. The mill, if she had been successful, would be all but finished now, ready for business. Maybe he could help her put the finishing touches on the place. Maybe he could spend the night. Maybe the two of them would grow closer. Maybe. He swam back to shore, dried off, and put his shaggy furs back on. He slung his quiver and bow over himself and started, refreshed and with full water skin, back up the mountain. Cyrodiil, he thought to himself. The rich, lush land to the south of Skyrim was the seat of an empire started by the immortal in name Tiber Septim when he conquered the entire continent of Tamriel. His empire was of such long-standing dominance that the natives of Cyrodiil are simply called Imperials. He himself had Imperial blood, as evidenced by how his skin turned a light shade of bronze in places that got a lot of sun. However, after the Oblivion Crisis, the empire began a steady collapse, aided in part by an Elven state, the Altmeri Dominion of the Somerset Isles. This culminated in their ruling group the Thalmor, beginning the great war that would bring the empire to its knees. The war was long and bloody and by many accounts one-sided. The Thalmor spread their influence throughout Tamriel. Eventually the signing of the White Gold Concordat ended the war, with what the Empire likes to call a peace treaty, but many consider it a surrender. Now High Rock, Skyrim, and Cyrodiil itself are the only lands left to Imperial rule, and the Thalmor have powerful embassies in all of them. However, the White Gold Concordat didn't stop the fighting. As in response to its signing, a radical group of Nords calling themselves the Stormcloaks had started a civil war for Skyrim's independence. Something about the outlawing of the worship of a specific god, and that's about where he lost interest. The war did not concern him. He had no patience for a god or loyalty to the Empire. All that mattered was the here and now. It was always slow slogging back up this mountain. The sun would be well on its way down by the time he got back to camp. He found some snowberry bushes, and the berries' cool edge and tart flavor were a welcome luxury. He had already eaten his second apple and was beginning to get pretty hungry. When he reached the scout point where he had squandered his chance with the elk earlier, he took a good long look around, and seeing nothing to indicate good prey, dropped onto his belly and put his ear to the rock. Nothing. At least, nothing that was in range. He lay there for a long while, waiting for something to wander into earshot. While there, the thought occurred to him to try for smaller game, like a rabbit or a squirrel. He would listen to the trees, and perhaps set a few snares, but his leather straps and thongs were back at the camp. He crouched and continued up the mountain, an arrow ready and notched in his bow, stopping every now and then to put his ear to a trunk or listen for the scrabbling, chattering, and perhaps fluttering, of prey in the trees. As one can imagine, this attention to detail made his progress up the mountain even slower. The shafts of light coming through the trees were falling at ever more severe angles. The forest floor was growing dim when he abruptly came to a stop. He had heard a high-pitched screech, like a blade being sharpened. The sound had come from a bush up ahead and to the right. He knelt down, picked up a nearby stone, and threw it to the right of the bush. As it landed, a red and green flash erupted from the left side of the bush. He swiftly drew and shot. With a squawk and a thud, the fat, vibrant bird was pinned to the tree by its neck. It was a pheasant, and a good colorful one at that. It gave a choked, gargling cry as it thrashed about in agony. As quickly as he could, he put a second arrow through its head to end its misery. This was perfect, he thought as he pulled his kill off the tree. The meat alone could sustain him for a couple days, and the bright feathers he could trade for bread... More apples? He could even use them to talk Torolf into renting him another book. The bird was still bleeding profusely from the neck, and this gave the hunter an idea. He could sell the blood to Matlara for her alchemy practices. He pulled the cork off his waterskin and drank several gulps before emptying it and holding it up to the blood spouting neck of the pheasant. Eventually, he decapitated the bird and held it up by its legs to speed up the process. Before long, his waterskin was heavy with blood. Meat, feathers, blood and bones, he may as well be set for life. He grinned as he set off in the direction of his camp. Keeping a limited perspective has its advantages. Living for no more than tomorrow made these simple victories that much sweeter. He thought back to the times when the larger troubles of the world came directly to his doorstep. He had been playing hide-and-seek with the young Hamming, Torolf's son, under the watchful eye of his mother, Matlara. It was all pretend and play, but he knew that he was actually teaching the boy valuable skills such as how to appraise your surroundings, how to use light and shadows to your advantage, and how to read one's thought process through their eyes. The boy was getting very good. In fact, on one occasion, if the hunter hadn't spotted the book on the floor, then he would never have found Hamming wedged into the rafters above the bookshelf. Everything changed when Torolf came running home saying that Ulfric Stormcloak, Jarl of the Hold of Windhelm, had murdered Torik, the High King of Skyrim, and that civil war was on the way. From that day forward, things were never quite the same. The citizens never treated him any differently, but the Imperial Legion stationed a large garrison in Helgen. The number of soldiers almost tripled, and on several occasions his refusal to join the fight resulted in accusations that he was a Stormcloak spy luckily Torolf Velod and on one occasion Ingrid spoke out in his defense still he was always a little more cautious when he chose to enter town he stopped abruptly as a flash of blue pulled him back to the present again it was that mad butterfly it alighted on his chest and he saw the hole in its left wing it was indeed the same one he glanced around at his surroundings The land was flattening out and the trees were growing thinner. He was almost home. The sun would soon dip beneath the western mountains, and twilight would be upon them. He had to smile as he looked back to his chest. If this troublesome little thing insisted on following him around like this, he might have to name it. Just then, a wicked wind picked up and blew against his face. His eyes grew wide as his nose detected something faint, but somehow unmistakable. Blood. Not the fresh blood of the pheasant in his hand, but old, congealed blood, staining and sour. He peered, searching into the gloom, and was just barely able to detect an unfamiliar lump protruding from the base of a tree. He dropped and darted behind a tree just as an arrow flew by exactly where his heart had been. He dropped the pheasant and drew an arrow of his own, preparing to retaliate. But as he drew back and took aim, a huge, ironclad, Nord man came roaring out of the bush to his right, Raised above his head, flashing gold in the light of the dying sun, was a formidable, sharp-edged mace. And in his other hand was an axe. His axe. The one he used to chop wood. The bandits had no doubt sacked his camp. He had no home. He dived and rolled away from the man's devastating blow. Then he turned and fired an arrow directly at his head. It glanced harmlessly off his metal helmet. He could hear a low laugh as the Nord wound up again. The hunter swiftly notched another arrow, deciding to put this one through the bandit's unarmored throat, but he was forced again to jump back as an arrow whizzed inches in front of his nose. This was impossible. He had to run. As the Nord charged forward again, he turned and bolted back the way he'd come. He barreled through the trees, egged on by the battle cries of the Nord, Every few seconds he'd hear an arrow impact a nearby trunk. They obviously hadn't found much of value at his camp and were now determined to kill him in case he had been keeping his riches on his person. Needless to say, proclaiming his poverty wasn't going to save him. But he knew something that might buy him some time. He hurtled a fallen log and found himself back at the scout point. He'd need to be quick with what he was about to do. But his pursuers would be looking into the setting sun and that gave him the advantage. He sprinted at the rocky cliff and slid on his hip over the edge grabbing the lip at the last second so he half fell half scrambled directly down the face as he dropped to the bottom he saw exactly what he had been counting on a small boulder about the size of a mead barrel that he'd seen earlier he grabbed it and with all the strength he could muster sent it rolling down the mountain gaining momentum leaving a dramatic and loud wake as it went he lay down as flat as he could and held his breath hardly a second later he heard them above him where'd that milk drinker go Over there! I see him! Hurry or we'll lose him!" The two shadowed figures jumped down, landing a few yards in front of his face and tore off in pursuit of his phantom. He slowly let out his breath. They'd be back in about a minute, but for now, he had a second to think. The berserker wore iron armor that covered his head, chest, forearms, and legs. He carried a mean-looking mace and the hunter's axe. The archer was the real puzzle. His armor had looked light and primitive, probably made out of some kind of tough hide. But he was good. He knew how to shoot from cover, and any archer that would fire into a fray without worrying about his ally was either very dumb or very talented. It didn't matter where he went from here, the archer could likely track him once he returned to the spot. They were fast, and he was hungry and tired. He needed a plan. What did he have? What did he have? He had twenty, no, nineteen arrows, two of them with blunt tips. He had his bow. His small filleting knife was back at the camp, and a lot of good that would do him in a fight anyway. This wasn't much, but perhaps it was good enough for a last stand. He grimly pulled out his water skin and took a squig. Blah! What? This wasn't water. He thought back. Oh, right. This was pheasant blood. Pheasant blood, huh? This was a terrible idea, probably the worst idea he'd ever had, but it would have to do. Stowing his water skin away, he stood up and ran northwest. They were on him a bit faster than he had planned, but it mattered not. The sun had fallen. And in the half-light, he waited for them to enter his sights. He heard them before he saw them. Are you sure he went this way? Of course I'm sure, you idiot. Now relax. This is what I do. Chief won't be happy if we come back with just a handful of apples. You don't think I know that? Now be quiet. You'll give us away. Suddenly an arrow came flying down from their right and buried itself in the Nord's shoulder. He screamed in pain, and the archer quickly drew his own arrow and shot back at the high rocks where the hunter had been waiting for them. Damn it, I told you, didn't I? He's up in those rocks. Go get him. I'll go around to the left. Just then, the archer ducked as another arrow whizzed by his head. Damn! Wait a moment! Shaking and gritting his teeth, the nord pulled the arrow out of his arm. I think I see him, the archer whispered. Do that thing you do, you know, the yell. The massive nord didn't need telling twice. He let out a long, bone-chilling roar that made the hunter flinch and shift to look. As soon as he did, an arrow stuck itself deep into his flank. He fell with a cry and started crawling and hobbling away. Perfect, said the archer. Now you can go get him. I'll make you regret that shot, the Nord shouted as he bared down on the reeling and writhing hunter. The hunter drew an arrow and shot, but he was off balance and the arrow sparked off the Nord's heavy chestplate. The hunter turned and limped between two close trees before falling feebly to the ground, desperately trying to drag himself away, his eyes wild with fear. The nord lined himself up, and with both mace and axe raised above his head, charged forward to end the hunter's life with a proud battle cry. But as he passed between the two trees, something caught at his ankles, and before he knew it, he was falling, falling, falling onto a bed of spikes. Eleven arrows, half-buried, their points aimed at the sky, and a few feet prior, a pair of arrows stuck into the trees at ankle height. The yelling Nord was impaled. The arrows at his chest were snapped by his chestplate, but those at his throat were not. He choked on blood and sputtered, gasping for air, clutching at his throat. The hunter was quick as a cat. In less than a moment, he had gotten to his feet and snatched up his fallen axe. He raised it above his head and brought it down hard on the back of the nord's neck warm blood splashed over his face and the bandit fell still the hunter stood upright gasping and was immediately knocked over by the impact of an arrow in his back damned imperial scum the archer screamed as he approached notching another arrow the hunter turned and brought his axe up to swing it but the second arrow found its place in his forearm and the axe fell to the ground the hunter dropped to his knees clutching his skewered arm sharp Panicked breaths exploded from his lungs. His eyes fell on the dead Nord, and he let out several dry heaves. His body left with nothing to throw up. The archer followed his gaze and scoffed. Don't tell me you've never killed before. Damned imperial milk drinker. And it just had to be my friend, didn't it? He whipped out another arrow and shot it into the hunter's right shoulder. The hunter yelled in agony and fell onto his side. The archer knelt down and pulled out a dagger. You've been a persistent little pest. I think I'll keep your balls as a trophy. The hunter's eyes widened as the dagger gleamed in the moonlight. The archer raised it up, and with a spine-churning roar, a black shaggy something flew into the archer, knocking him down and dragging him away. The hunter lay there listening as the archer screamed and pleaded. Then the sickening chokes, pops, tears, and crunches as his throat was ripped out. The hunter looked over as the huge wolf shook its lifeless victim. He reached down to his flank and grabbed the arrow. He bit the collar of his furs to avoid yelling as he pulled it out. When he uneasily sat up, the wolf was looking at him. It was enormous. As big as any wolf you'll ever see. Jet black, save for some scarring around its nose and a long scar down its closed right eye. The one-eyed wolf considered him. And he it. It was about that time he registered that there were several other wolves walking around the clearing, their eyes shining in the dark. Some sniffing and biting the Nord, some sniffing the trees, and one sniffing the empty water skin laying on the ground. You're late, Titus, said the hunter in a low, hoarse voice as he tried and failed to pull the arrow out of his impaled forearm. At this, one of the smaller wolves squared him up and growled, but the one-eyed wolf snapped at them and they backed down. The hunter shakily stood up, trying with everything he had to keep his knees from knocking. As he did, his skewered arm found the axe and weakly picked it up. The wolf's one good eye flashed as he pulled himself upright and with his good hand yanked the arrow out of his shoulder. They stayed like that for what felt like forever, the hunter gripping his bloody axe in one hand and a bloody arrow in the other, staring down the wolf. And the one-eyed wolf staring back, with eight pairs of eyes gleaming at his back. He smelled their breath. He heard their claws upon the ground. And he saw them, thinking. Just when the hunter thought he might finally drop for good, the one-eyed wolf walked over to the body of the fallen archer, took its leg in his mouth, and started dragging it away into the night. At that, all the other wolves either moved to help Or began dragging the mass of Nord away. The pack disappeared into the shadows of the trees. The hunter waited for a while after they left. It was so quiet, and still, almost unnaturally so. For a moment he thought that he might have died after all and been dragged away. That this was his afterlife, making his final stand forever. Then the thud as his axe fell to the ground brought him back to his senses. He reached to feel the arrow in his back. That one would require the attention of a healer. He stumbled a little as he started walking west, down the slope, out of the trees, onto the north road. Riverwood was only a mile away, but he doubted he'd make it on foot. He walked to the edge of the swift-flowing river and looked into it for a moment. He may never know the forces that governed his little life, but some way, somehow, he had made it. Thank you He said to the stars and moon He thought then that he felt a light touch on the back of his head Soft, like a maiden's kiss The last of his strength left him And he fell into the river Thank you very much for listening. That was the first chapter of my Skyrim audio fanfiction. I hope to make more of these in the future, so be sure to tune in next time to hear the continued adventures of the hunter. I suppose that the main mods that were instrumental to this episode would be the alternate start and the I Need mod. A ton of credit goes to their creators for providing the means for which the... (laughs) for providing the means by which the inspiration for this story could come about. And once again, thanks for listening.